and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. I um, got some new shoes in the mail. Okay. I'm wearing them for the first time today. And I just, right before we uh, started recording tonight, I took Darla, our dog, on a walk. And... Um, uh, I already have like a blister <laughs> from the new shoes. David, I don't know if that's going to go away as I break them in or, or what. Listen to this. So it was a warm day today, unseasonably warm, I would say. I would say and, unseasonably uh, is the correct word. When it is 85 degrees in January, yes. that is the definition of unseasonable warmth. It's not unheard of for that to occasionally happen in Los Angeles, but yes, it was frustrating. And so uh, I had to take the kids for a walk. Well, I didn't have to, I enjoy it. Um, and, uh, but I, as I, well, I'm not going to wear my jeans and shoes. So uh, I busted out a pair of shorts and some flip flops and I hadn't worn those flip flops in a while. Uh, and I wasn't wearing socks or anything. Uh, and so sure enough, David, look at this, look at this synergy blisters all over my feet wow just we today disgusting that's <laughs> true yes we're a disgusting <laughs> pair yeah um so okay there's another thing i wanted to talk about david what, beyond blisters well i mean that was the main thing obviously but uh if in case we couldn't get that much out of it um and no beyond blisters so, is not the metal album i'm going to be talking about in a little bit uh so uh you know, one thing that, that you and I talk about, and I tend to talk about it uh, derisively, is when like a, a show is either brought back after, you know, 30 years, like Fuller House or whatever it is, um, or it's essentially remade or repackaged. Just the idea of, of something being made that is just completely trying to capitalize on this nostalgia of a certain generation. Um, I occasionally will fall victim to that, but at the same time, I'm trying to be more on the lookout for it. Uh, when, when I feel like something is trying to pander to me as a 38 year old. Um, but I did watch the trailer for painting with John, which I was first made aware of by, I believe Kate Kulzik. Um, I think that's who it was. No, it might've been, uh, might've been, it might've been Stephanie Smith, uh, on Twitter. Okay. I don't remember who it was, but, uh, but yeah, it's going to be on HBO max. It starts later this month and it is, uh, a painting show with John Lurie. Um, and he seems to be recording it himself. Co-produced by friend of the show, Matt Dwyer. Oh, I did not know that. That's that's uh, pretty amazing. I'll have to. Huh. That's where I first heard of it is from his Instagram. Okay. Uh, and so it's I mean, it's certainly it's not the same format as Fishing with John, which was, you know, which uh, had six episodes released in like 1991, I think. Um, so it's not the same structure as that. But it is interesting that he decided to go with that title, Painting with John. Um and uh, as I watched the trailer, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited for this. Now, of course, I'm excited for it because it's John Lurie doing anything because he got sick a long time ago and, and withdrew from any kind of public life as a musician or as an actor. Um, and uh, so I'm excited to see that. But I do think that, like, 
if they had gone with a different title, um, I'd probably still be excited for it, but there's just something about calling it painting with John. I feel like he has to be, for lack of a better term, capitalizing on the thing that he came out with that very few people know about 30 years ago. Um, and so I will say that like, yeah, uh, I guess I wasn't old enough to watch it at the time, but I certainly discovered it later and, and adore it. I love fishing with John. And, uh, so I will say that, you know, that idea of, 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 you know, maybe not, maybe exploiting is too harsh of a word, but exploiting somebody's nostalgia. It got me. I'm, I cannot wait <laughs> for painting with John. I'm so excited. It exists, uh, partially for the details, but also you call it that. And, and I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm first in line. Uh, all right. Well, I want to tell you about, uh, tweaked audio.com Tyler. Um, okay. I couldn't think of a first in line, uh, uh, segue, but, uh, tweaked audio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives today. I was listening to some grindcore. I was listening to uh, a playlist of some of the best grindcore, uh, or, or one person's idea of some of the best grindcore albums of uh 2020 i'm still catching up on on the metal of uh of, of last year and probably will be for a while get used to this as the structure for <laughs> for the tweaked uh, ad reads but i wanted to call it a, a really great album uh, that i had listened to earlier in the year uh the band is called internal rot and the album is called grieving birth but the reason i want to point it out is because the album cover is the actress Rebecca Hall from the movie from the Red Riding anthology movie series. Okay, I, it's just a still. I, I don't know how. Like, it's weird. Normally, when you do an album cover, it has something to do. Like, you get, you know, you hire a photographer, or 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 uh, you. What's the one I'm looking for? Commission a painting or something like that. Like to just take a still from an existing movie is uh, very weird, but I'm also not complaining because it's a really nice, pretty like shot of Rebecca Hall sure. on the cover of this uh, uh, pretty brutal grindcore album. Um, I would definitely ch uh, recommend checking out Internal Rot's Grieving Birth um, and just look at that pretty picture of Rebecca Hall on the cover. It feels like uh, they would have to have gotten permission from some, who, someone, like from a rights someone. holder for yeah. red writing. Yeah, I don't know. Um that reminds me, okay, uh, we're going to go off topic here because I'm going to talk about something that, I, again, I don't like to, I mean, not again. I, I say again all the time when I don't, haven't said the thing before. I don't want to make assumptions about what pop culture you are and aren't familiar with. Okay. But I'm going... You're probably right. I'm going to go on a limb and say that the entire idea of a producer tag is not something, you don't know what that is you don't know what it refers to. Is that right? I do not. I don't. Okay. So, uh, in the world of, uh, <coughs> hip hop pr producers, you know, cause the, the name is the, you know, the name on the cover of the album is the rapper, but the producers right. are the ones who come up with the, the, the beats, the music, you know, um, mm. and there'll be various producers, you know, uh, and, uh, an album by one rapper will have various songs by different producers and the producers mm -hmm. are somewhat celebrities in their own right. And that has grown because producers have started adding in producer tags. Okay. Which is a little clip 
you know a little thing you know uh there's a guy whose name is mike will made it and he just has a tag that says mike will made it that's like in the middle it's just at the beginning of the song you'll hear mike will made it um and these have gotten like um uh, uh more and more i don't know there's there's, there's a, a lot of them um and a lot of them are like uh other rappers uh calling out the producer and then the producer takes that clip and puts it on all his later songs but there's one there's a producer named uh uh pierre something i can't remember now his last name but um his producer tag it goes hey pierre you want to come out here and it's a clip from the jamie fox show it's jamie fox saying hey pierre you want to come out here okay and when i think like whenever I hear a song that has this producer's producer tag in it, my question is like, does, does he have to get the rights to that clip individually per song? Or did he buy that audio clip? Like an overall in perpetuity deal that he can use this clip, this very specific audio clip from one episode of the Jamie Foxx show (laughs) in every song. It takes me out of the song every time. Cause I, I it to, sounds to me like a producer tag will, would always take me out of the song. Like it really you get used to them. Okay. Yeah. I would, yeah, I would say, uh, uh, at first that was my reaction. And now I feel like that is, that would be considered an old man reaction at the shirt. Um, yeah. so you, you do get used to producer tags, uh, and just to the existence of them, which is, uh, strange anyway. Uh, all that says so all, all of uh, these you can you can hear the hey Pierre you want to come out here um, uh, um, producer tag it's on one of the songs on the new Lil Durk album so check out the Lil Durk album it'll sound great check out Internal Rod they'll all sound great on your tweakedaudio.com earbuds they're available at a low low price at tweakedaudio.com but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges so please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yes? We're not here to talk about blisters. We're not here to talk about painting with John. We're not here to talk about producer tags. Speak for yourself. What are we here to talk about? So, boy, I wish that I remember... Uh, this is a topic that I recommended a while ago. Um, I, I do not remember what prompted it. Um, I think it probably, as I mentioned, um, in the movie journal, uh, I've been, maybe this was it. Yes. Okay. So I've been, I've been doing some script consulting over the last uh, few years and, it's it's not at all unheard of, and I don't say this in 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 an overly mocking way, or at least I'll try not to. Um, you know, you'll run across writers who have, to their credit, have read screenwriting books. You know, because they want their script to be good and they want to get different perspectives. But the problem with that is that 
you know, a, a screenwriting book that just kind of talks about certain structure or certain formula or whatever it is, that's very, that's very good. But the idea is to internalize that and then you can, you can alter it so that your script works, you know, or, or that you can make the script that you want and make it work. You, there are basically principles. It's not meant to be a blueprint. And so one thing that I, that I ran across is the idea of somebody who in their script, like they just, their protagonist was just always doing something, um, which may not sound like a bad thing, but when you read it and you realize that, like, there's never any moment for the protagonist to process something, um, to, con to, dis to discuss, or even, uh, maybe not even openly, but like to show how they're feeling about something. It's just constant action. And, uh, the person, and I said like, you know, you need, you need to give this character, if you're going to have them, if they're going to have an arc, that's fine that you need to have them, pull back every once in a while. And the person said, yes, but I, I, I read that the, the, it's always, it's important for the protagonist to be active, like always active. And I was like, yes, but if you do that, then like the protagonist does have to be reactive as well. And so it just got me thinking in terms of like, is that true that by and large the protagonist has to be active? And then I think, then I thought of a number of movies, whether it be genre or otherwise, in which the protagonist is reactive. And another word for that is passive. Uh, the the protagonist is is acted upon or is pulled very reluctantly into the action and is holding off as long as they can. Um, and so it. Uh, so I started making a list of, of movies with what I would say is a passive protagonist uh, and they still work. Um, even though a lot of people would, it, it's understandable why someone would think that a movie with a passive protagonist would not work, but uh, you know, with the right director and I would also definitely say the right actor, you can make it not merely work. You can really make, uh, make it a memorable, interesting character. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you made a list because I had, I think I might have been overly literal about passive and, oh, okay. and, uh, I, I ended up with a very short list. Um, but I, I was able to think of, uh, well, one came up on a Google search and one I thought of, uh, characters from, I guess, literature from pre-movies sure. that, uh, uh, or, or at least anyway, that's not the point. Um, uh, characters from not movies uh, who would sure. be considered uh, uh, passive, at least for the most part. Um, the one that came up when I Googled that I hadn't really thought of is Hamlet for most of the play sure. uh, is is a pretty passive character. And then one that uh, might not even might not even count as a protagonist, um, but that's the great Gatsby. It's, you know, sure. the, the, the main character, uh, Nick. Is that right? Is it Nick or is it Tom? Maybe it's Tom. Now I don't remember. I, I have read the book, but it's been quite a while. Yeah, same here. It's been forever. But uh, and that's the thing. He's so inactive that I don't even remember his name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So is, are those the kind of things you were thinking of? Uh, sort of, yeah. That's that's definitely. And, and incidentally, I also thought of uh, Oliver Twist, um, who is just constantly moved around and right. other people it's it's i mean the fact that he's a kid probably plays a big role like how much control can you really have over your life when you're a kid but when people think of oliver twist and and if you think of 
the most dynamic characters, not to suggest that Oliver isn't, but when you think of the most dynamic characters, you're going to think of Fagin, you're going to think of uh, Bill Sykes, you're going to think of uh, the Artful artful Dodger. You'll think of all of these characters, all of whom are acting, They like, which is to say they are making decisions and acting and they have goals and they will act to accomplish them. And Oliver just gets just keeps getting pulled into it. And that's basically it. Um, I'd say along uh, those lines, along those lines, like Pinocchio is that a little bit, um, real quick. I was right. It's Nick, Nick Carraway. Nick. Okay. Is, uh, his name. Um, and you just reminded me of, uh, another, another, uh, novel, um, the lead character from Upton, Upton Sinclair's the jungle, which the jungle, the plot of the jungle is basically terrible things happen again yeah. and again to an immigrant stockyard worker. He <laughs> like, it's just a, a litany of, uh, things that he suffers. Uh, I guess he's kind of like Job. Sure. Is that, that's, uh, that's about right. Yeah. But that's Job also is... probably the dumbest thing I ever said. That's probably like a comparison people have made a million times. And I'm like, think that I'm on to something because I, that's all right. <laughs> you, if you arrive Job. there, it's all about how you phrase it, you know, and, and how you frame it. Uh, which is like, if you think like, it's like, uh, you know, when you think about it, it's like Job pretty profound, huh? You know, that's a different thing. Um, so as I was looking at, uh, again, thinking in terms of, of screenwriting and story structure and formula and all that sort of thing, uh, it almost goes without saying that for in most, in most instances of like the hero's journey, your hero is usually pretty passive for at least an act and a half. Um, okay, sure. So like, like Neo. Uh, Neo, I'd say Harry Potter, mm-hmm. um, you know, he just kind of goes where people tell him he's, he's passive for a good portion of the series, you know, like think about, um, think about Goblet of Fire where his name gets spit out and, it, and I think once or twice he might've said, I didn't put my name in there, uh, but you know, and then people are like, it's a binding contract. And then he could have said, I didn't sign this contract. So please, I don't want to do this. But that's, you know, and it makes sense given the the life that he's lived is that he feels like I'm not going to be listened to anyway. So what's the point? Um, but yeah, like it's, it's something that I always thought was really interesting about that series is that your main character, certainly he will make, he will make choices, but for a good portion of that entire series, not even just the first film, uh, he allows a lot of other people to dictate to him what he should do. And I think that's very, I don't know. I think that's very interesting. Um, certainly, uh, Lord of the Rings and I'd say the Hobbit, um, you know, Bilbo is not particularly, doesn't seem super excited to go on an adventure and Frodo, just sort of lets other people, people that he trusts, but he lets them dictate what he's going to do. And then he's like, okay, I only need to go. I only need to do up to this point. It's not that he doesn't believe in it in the, in the mission. He just doesn't really believe in himself. And then eventually it's like, okay, I I guess I got to do this. I guess I think I, I, I wouldn't really think of Frodo like that because of the fact that he, the fact that he goes on the mission to begin with to me is an active choice that he makes. I guess so. It just, it see, it always seems to me that he feels he probably doesn't have a great deal of choice. Um, and, and the choice didn't, didn't start with him. It started with Gandalf as opposed to when they're in Rivendell 
and everyone is arguing about who will take the ring. And then he says, I will take it like that is an active choice because no one's asking him to. And it would not occur to anyone to ask him, but he still volunteers. So that's when he goes from passive to active. Um, But uh, so, yeah, I do think that like a lot of a lot of like genre movies and a lot of heroes journey stuff it almost goes uh, like they have to be active and that's uh, sorry, they have to be passive and it's sort of the role of the mentor to bring them along until they uh, turn active. Yeah. So, um, but uh, I have, yeah, I have other examples certain, as well. I, this is another thing I was trying that I think I overthought this is that characters who eventually become active. I, mm-hmm. um, I, uh, I kept disqualifying, but I probably shouldn't have. Like, I think by this definition, you're giving like uh, uh, Rick from Casablanca doesn't make any decision. Like, that's his thing. He's he's completely passive yeah. until he makes a decision. Yeah, I, I thought of him. I thought of um, again that nobody talks about this movie, but I thought of Michael Caine and The Quiet American. Like, the, just their whole life. You know, the two characters are very similar, like they're living in another country and they're just kind of doing whatever they want to do and they don't really want to take a side and all that. And yes. And then the the circumstances pull them in. Um, yeah, I, I feel like they they could count. Absolutely. Um, and so. So I have I have several other uh, examples. Um, do you uh, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I only have two other examples and then one that i thought of that is not it's kind of fits the bill but is not literally okay because something what we're we're talking about with a thing like you mentioned frodo Mm -hmm. right like um i know people all over the internet have made the argument before that like Samwise is more of an active character, you know, that, that, yeah. that, that Sam is, uh, uh, and that always reminds me of one of my favorite movies, uh, big trouble in little China, which is a movie in which, <laughs> yeah. uh, the character who thinks he's the lead of the movie up until the end, like is, is nothing that he does really has any effect on anything. It's mostly his buddy Wang up until the end, but I didn't yeah. think that that counted because not being the protagonist isn't the same as not being active. Jack right. from a little shed is very active, but yeah. it's just a lot of bluster. <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. That is definitely, uh, my, my friend, uh, Nathan is a big fan of that, of that movie. And he and I had an in-depth conversation about just the ridiculousness of that character, uh, including, and maybe especially his boots, um, oh, that which are like uh, lace up, you know, they're, they're like boots that are moccasins. To get, we have, because I have such a short list, we have time to get a little bit off topic. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Kim Cattrall. Okay. Because she's in big trouble in Little China. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard, and more importantly, has Jenny heard that they're doing a Sex in the City reunion show without Kim Cattrall? Uh, I believe that she mentioned it. Uh, I don't, I don't remember if she mentioned that it was without Kim Cattrall. Why, why are they doing that? I don't think Kim Cattrall wants to do it. Oh, I think that, that's my, that's my impression. That's interesting. And it's, and I, I certainly don't condemn somebody like, uh, you know, she was on this show for a long time and maybe she's like, yeah, I gave it a, I, I, it has a place in my past, but I'm, I'm past it now. Um, I'll, I'll definitely ask Jen what she, what she thinks of it. It almost, it does almost feel like, I mean, obviously it's incomplete. Like there were four of them and, you know, 25% of them uh, aren't there. Um, and not because she had passed or anything like that. Um, 
Okay, so you know, in in making the list that I made, I found that uh, a number of these characters are passive because they are maybe afraid of making a mistake. Um, like I look at something like Manchester by the Sea, um, and I feel like the the character that Casey Affleck plays, I feel like he is a passive guy. Um, and when you see what happens to him, it makes sense why he would not want to move in any particular direction because he is afraid to get close to someone. He's afraid of hurting someone. Um, and he actually after a certain point, he, he becomes more than passive. He becomes actively resistant, uh, to what's going on. And it's, it's really interesting to hang a movie on a character like that. But I think, uh, Kenneth Lonergan is obviously a very talented writer and he makes it work and he makes the character seem dynamic, even though he really just wants to stay exactly where he is, even though he's miserable. It's funny you mentioned Casey Affleck because literally the first movie that I thought of when you mentioned this topic is a ghost story. Because this is my, what I was talking about being like very literal with the mm -hmm. definition. This is a literal definition. He's a ghost who can, not only does he not do anything, he can't have any effect on the world around him. Yeah. He's just hanging out in a house and observing things the entire movie he can't do anything he's dead he has no form he uh, <laughs> the, uh he is a truly passive uh protagonist and that's the first uh movie that i thought of when you suggested uh this topic well i appreciate you being uh that literal because i think that's very that's very interesting and i still haven't seen that movie and i think i would probably love it based on what people have told me um but also the idea of being trapped and just watching the world go by sounds horrifying to me. Well, I don't think it's um, supposed to be pleasant in the movie. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> He's not having a good time of things. Okay. All right. I wasn't sure if the film was uh, how the film felt about it. Um, I would say. Uh, so, okay, let's see here. By the way, I almost got distracted uh, reading you know, reading the tea on Kim Cattrall not being in the Sex in the City movie. Um, apparently there was a bit of a falling out uh, between Cattrall and uh, SJP when uh, I, I guess some people feel the reason there wasn't a third Sex in the City movie is because Kim Cattrall wouldn't sign on to do it. Oh. And I think that soured the uh, relationship. This is, this is what I'm gathering. I don't really care, but because yeah. uh, um, I, I watched all of Sex and the City, but I didn't watch either the movie, so I probably won't watch the new uh, uh, reboot thing. Yeah. But, uh, I do like SJP. I'm a fan of Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you should definitely watch The Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with, uh, oh, with her. Did. She's, she's okay. incredibly charming. She's delightful. But I, but I also love that uh, in that episode, um, Jerry Seinfeld has to tell her that she's too famous to tip like a normal person. Yes. Cause yeah. she like leaves a tip that if you or I left would be like good tip, you yes. know, that's the right, that, that's, that's a, that's a nice, uh, good friendly tip for a person like us. But, uh, Jerry Seinfeld's like when that waitress tells her friends, I waited on Sarah Jessica Parker and Jerry Seinfeld. What's the first thing they're going to ask? Her? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he's right. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so uh, trying to find, so I mentioned Manchester by the sea being a, a, a character who doesn't want to make the wrong decision. Um, 
Pan. I like that's the name of his character. <laughs> yeah, it's about the sea being a character. <laughs> yeah, this is the part where Wall Street gets arrested. Oh <laughs> uh, man, I've been watching old Simpsons episodes, and I just, I Did man, you get to that what, one? What a, not yet, but what a wonderful uh, show that was. Um, and then obviously, there's going to be a certain. Um, for lack of a better term, like lethargy or a lack of energy, uh, in, in your passive protagonist. I feel like the dude in the big Lebowski is a pretty uh-huh. passive prota- protagonist, but I would also say, uh, uh, Bob, uh, Harris, I think his name is from lost in translation. Like he also just is clearly not particularly interested in life, uh, right now or in the world around him. And he's just kind of, coasting through and then he finds you know sort of a a kindred spirit and that sort of livens him up whereas the dude yeah he's i mean he's he's passionate like the dude yells a lot like he's often very angry and irritated but he rarely uh the one thing he does that's like active is when he says like oh like the old man said to take any rug in the house, you know? Uh, so it's like, okay, he's making a specific choice there, but for the most part, like the, you know, the film talks about how lazy he is. And so, uh, you tend not to get a lot of lazy active protagonists. Um, and then, uh, I do think that, um, Joseph Cotton's character in the third man is pretty passive. Oh, yeah. uh, he just kind of, he just keeps finding himself places. And once again, people tell him, uh, Oh, well, you know this and you know that. And he just keeps kind of being swayed one way or another. Uh, and then finally he does make, you know, I, that is, that tends to be the, what, what happens with these movies is, usually the 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 arc is that the person makes a choice and it's it's probably a very definitive choice uh but uh but that's how you know they've changed and uh and his choice to kill his best friend is pretty uh former best friend is is pretty dramatic uh but up to that point like it's it's comical how how passive he is in that in that movie yeah i was thinking it it occurs to me that I went from having a very short list to suddenly you could add a whole other, like basically there's you, the Venn diagram between these kind of movies you're talking about. And then fish out of water comedies sure. actually has a lot of overlap because a lot of the time, the point of that is that the person is, is, uh, uh at the is is at the whim is subject to all yeah. of these strange things that are happening to them and then there's something like like mr deeds goes to town eventually he like you know yeah becomes himself and, and is an active character but uh most of the movie is is just uh him uh reacting to uh this different situation so fish out of water comedies are almost all like that by definition up until a certain point and i would say uh forrest gump kind of fits that because even though he's not in a, in a situation, even though he's, he's not like in a place where he is a foreigner, like because he is who he is, he just doesn't really fit with the world around him and he is a trusting person. And so he tends to trust the people around him and they tell him to go do this, go do that. And he just does it. Uh, And, you know, he is, he's very much a character who does not change. Um, and makes 
makes i mean i guess he does i mean he does make decisions no he makes yeah. choices but they are based on someone saying this is what you should do mm-hmm. um so i feel like he counts as a passive character well, do you want the last one on my list and then it's, uh, sure. and then it's all the Tyler show? Sure. So this one, I haven't seen this probably. I haven't watched it probably since I was in high school. Um, so I don't know if my memory uh, is wrong and maybe this character wouldn't even be considered the, the protagonist, mm-hmm. but John Connor in Terminator 2. I uh, maybe because I saw when I was young, I thought of him as the protagonist because he was closest in age to me, and he was sure, uh, sure yeah, <laughs> the character that all yeah. my friends thought was was cool. But um, he's he's mostly just along for the ride. I mean the 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 good Terminator is more of an active character than oh, that's for sure. And then his is. and then his mom eventually, uh, Sarah Connor, but even eventually she eventually is. yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, and I think that I definitely think he counts as a protagonist, not the protagonist. I think eventually it's all three of them. Um, And yeah, and it goes back to that thing that I was saying about Oliver Twist. Like he is young and even though he is uh, there's a rebellious quality to him, like there's only so much say he's going to get in this situation. Uh, And so he's reliant on uh, these adult figures around him. Um, Yeah, I guess that. That makes me think of uh, a movie you mentioned just on the uh, movie journal um, a few days ago. The The Lion King for for most of the sure. for most of the movie, he's just waiting for things to happen to him. Which which goes back to Hamlet, actually. Uh, right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so I only have a I few other things I'm, that are dumb. No, the, the, not the the Job thing and the Hamlet, like the forgetting that Lion King is Hamlet. It's perfectly fine. My, my brain, I, it's been almost a year of, you know, yeah, quarantine or pandemic time or whatever. Like, my brain is suffering. I find myself casting about for words all of the time. Uh, I, uh, my, I need, I need things to get better. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely. Uh, uh, yeah. Like, I'm like Ben Stiller in Royal Tenenbaums. It's been a rough year. Boy, uh, yeah, I hear you, and and of course it's 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 hard for me to say that because I I absolutely love my kids, which is still a weird phrase to say. Uh, and today, every day is a new thing. Today, I discovered that they are getting to the age where they enjoyed they really enjoy being bounced on my knee. Oh, that's fun. and like, oh, here we go. This is, uh, you know, this is a game changer for me. But at the same time, I'm just so, so tired. And yes, I make tons of uh, mistakes, whether they be practical or intellectual. <laughs> um, yeah. So I totally, I totally hear you. But I should um, also say, I, I, the pandemic has been rough for everyone and for many people way worse than it is for me. I've been healthy. I've been gainfully employed and I am lucky enough to not either be living alone or be living with someone that I'm not in a healthy relationship with. Exactly. Like I, uh, I am very lucky in many ways and I, and I recognize that, uh, it is still eating away at my brain and my soul. Yeah. It was actually something like, you know, when, when new year's came along, you had so many people reflecting on 2020 and talking about like what a, what a shit year it was. And it's like, well, for me, it was like, I put out a movie that was well-reviewed uh, and then I, I adopted kids. Like it was a pretty good year for me. 
but I didn't, I didn't want to put that out there because, you know, I, I realized that for a lot of people, for various reasons, it was a really, really bad year, not just in a larger political sense, but in a very personal sense. And so I didn't want to, I don't know, it seemed, yeah. it seemed a little tone deaf to me yeah, to, think, to put that out there. That's exactly the right reaction. Um, but, uh, so a few others, um, I feel like, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I do feel like, again, speaking to this idea of someone who is passive throughout the movie and then makes a very specific decision at the end, I feel like Mookie and do the right thing is a pretty passive protagonist. Um, he's opinionated, but I feel like he kind of just goes along. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I guess he kind of doesn't even really like take a stand on the um, putting black celebrities pictures on the on the wall. Like he uh, he doesn't really speak up about that until he speaks up at the end. Right. I feel like it's and that's again like he he'll he'll like confront uh, bugging out and he'll say like, Hey man, I have to work here, but that's not exactly the same as taking a stand. And he also confronts uh, John Turturro's yeah. uh, character. Yeah. So he get, he does give his opinion and in a movie like this, that's kind of, that's about as active as a person can be, but that's in, but because this movie is what it is, it's not exactly the same as being fully active because everyone's giving their opinion all the time. And his is just one more. Uh, but then there at the end, like throwing that trash can through the window is, is a very deliberate and very active choice. Um, and, uh, and also again, just going back to, there's a certain, not even not laziness, but there's just a certain lack of urgency in, in Mookie, whether it be with his job or with his uh, girlfriend and son or whatever son, it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then Does he that, makes, um, now that you're a father mm-hmm. do movies. And this is pretty close to a Patreon question. We got from a listener in a mailbag sure. episode, but do movies about, uh, deadbeat dads or, or absentee dads bother you more? Because for me, like seeing Mookie not care about his son is like, man, that's not what you're supposed to do. But you right. have a closer connection now to be like, how how could you or something? You know what? Here's OK. This is I'm going to give you a very, very serious answer. Uh, yes, I I think it does bother me. But at the same time, I get it. Like, this is hard. This is a hard thing to do. And by and large, I'd say that for, for twins, especially our kids are pretty easy, but it's really, really hard being real, like tied down and, and I, you know, I was already married, but you come to realize like, Oh, when you, when you have kids, like you realize how little free any, and you want actually want to take care of them. You realize how little freedom you have. And it's, I mean, you know, I think it's worth it, but I can definitely see how someone could be could be driven kind of crazy by it especially if 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 it's a particularly difficult situation and maybe if they didn't have like full emotional support from their spouse or or whatever um that's not to let anybody off the hook but uh and again i i do think that choosing to to abandon or or whatever is the wrong choice and i say that definitively but i do definitely see that like yeah this is a hard being a parent is difficult. 
So how many times since you've uh, had your kids, have you Googled how to go about changing your name and moving to Alaska? <laughs> Uh, I was actually doing that during the, uh, during the movie journal. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. And so that's please, just in case anyone is wondering, that's not, this is not me saying like, Oh, I dream about leaving every day. It's nothing, but I just don't, uh, it's not that it's just, you know, you remember that movie, um, lock with Tom Hardy. I never saw that. It's a pretty good movie. I mean, yes, there's a gimmick to it, but I think it pulls it off pretty well. Um, and essentially, you get a sense that throughout the movie. And I think there's a moment where he's essentially like sort of talking to his dad who abandoned the family and his dad's not actually there, but he's sort of imagining that side of the conversation. And Tom Hardy is, is making a very specific decision that is going to wind up hurting people, but it's also sort of the most responsible decision. And at the end of the film, he, he essentially is again, talking to his dad, who's not actually there. Um, and he's, he goes, I, I get it now. Like mm. this is hard. And so I'm very much in favor of yes, by all means condemning actions and condemning. And after a while saying like, yeah, the person that made this decision is not maybe a, a good person in the traditional sense of the word, but I do, I'm very much in favor of like, if you, if you get to the point where you say, I could never do that, or I can't understand how anyone could ever do that, then it might actually come as a shock when you eventually get to a point that you never thought you could get to. And I feel like you should definitely always be preparing or at least thinking abstractly so that you see how someone could arrive at a place that you condemn. Um, and so, yeah, uh, this That's is fantastic, this, fantastic well, answer. I'm so glad I, I'm so glad. Is I it? Okay. That. Yeah. Um, but, uh, okay. So yeah, I think we can, uh, how many more do you have on your, on your list? Oh, just, there? just a couple. And even All then right. they're, they're more questions than anything else. Oh, okay. Well then I'll have something to say. Barton I'll answer Fink. the question. Barton Fink. Mm. No, I, I, I don't know. I, it's tough because he wants, he wants to take action, but he's unable to, but I'm not sure if that's the same as being passive. Yeah, I, I know. I think he makes too many decisions. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would I was, consider it. I was kind of iffy about it. Uh, and then I would say uh, Virgil Tibbs in, in the heat of the night uh, for at least the first act, I would say he is okay. passive, which again, I say again, this is, this is an instance where I didn't actually say this before because of the because of the, his very specific circumstances of being you know a, a black man in a southern town in the 1960s if he if he is too active people are going to read it the wrong way and so he sort of has to be passive until people understand who he is and then he can be a little bit more assertive but like he does he just wants to leave town he doesn't want to take the case uh and then eventually he he gets invested in in the case uh but i feel like he's he's a fairly passive character at first even though you know that he you realize he's not a passive person but the circumstances are sort of requiring mm -hmm. and he he's smart enough to recognize that yeah if i if i speak up uh the way he would later on in the film then like he could actually wind up getting shot right. or something like that um and then I would say, actually, uh, I haven't really seen that many uh, Ozu movies, but I do feel like uh, various characters in Tokyo Story and um, Late Spring uh, are 
are passive. Um, but that also might be a, a sort of a cultural or generational thing as well. Well, I feel it's almost like a, I don't know if this counts like a genre, but like there is a type of movie that's just like a hangout movie. Sure. Or I guess like, cause you could say like dazed and confused, like most of those characters are just like going yeah. with the flow for, uh, or, or, uh, uh, everybody wants some, was that was the, the 80s, uh, yes. Right? Which I actually didn't see. Um, it's good. I mean, it's not dazed and confused, but it's, uh, I like yeah. it a lot. Um, and that's a good point. Um, and even something like, you know, like clerks or various Kevin Smith movies could be called hangout movies. And Clerks certainly is defined by characters who are very passive and they lament where their life is right now, but they're also not really doing anything to change it. All right. Well, and, and I'm sure, of course, there are many, many other examples. Um, and so, uh, that, we leave, yeah, we leave that to the listener. All right. Well, um, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be active about my life by, uh, bringing this podcast to a close and there you go, uh, going and sitting on the couch with my wife, because that's what we do in quarantine times. Yes, that's, that's what I'm about to go do. Sit on the couch with your wife. <laughs> What are we watching? Wear a mask. We're watching the crown. Um, oh, nice. Uh, we're on season two. Uh, if you want to hear me talk about the crown, you can, uh, hear it on, on the TV journal, which is only available to patrons. Go to patreoncom slash battleship retention. Yes. Um, also buy our book. Yes, indeed. Uh, it's, it sounds like it's going to be, uh, it's, it's in the hands of the designer who, uh, has, uh, is doing really great work. Uh, and he tells me that we are very close to having everything finalized. And once we have it finalized, we are going to, we're going to go to print. So hopefully by the, like, hopefully well before the end of the month, we will be able to ship them, but yes, you can pre-order them. Just go to battleshippretension.com on the left-hand side of the page. You will see uh, the 101 best movies of the 2010s. Click on that. It's uh, it's 14.99 plus shipping uh, at the moment, only available to uh, us residents, but uh, we're doing what we can to uh, expand that a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's a really great way to support the website and get, I'll say this, a pretty sizable book in the meantime, because uh well, some of us are just blowhards uh, who just couldn't <laughs> couldn't keep to the limit, and I include myself in that. I am I am not. I, uh, I yeah, it was very impressive. Yeah. Uh, um, all right. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. You can follow me, uh, David, on Twitter at Davy Pretension. You can also check out my reviews uh, this week of Skyfire. MLK FBI and some kind of heaven. All of those uh, reviews are up on the website right now. Uh, you can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler pretension. Tyler, do you have anything else to plug at the moment? No. Well then, uh, thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.